Welcome to the Cops and Writers Podcast. On this show, you will learn how to write the best crime-related novel or screenplay possible. Your host, Sergeant Patrick O'Donnell, worked the streets in one of the nation's largest police departments for over 25 years. Ride along with O'Donnell and his expert guests as they help you navigate the oftentimes confusing and misunderstood world of law enforcement. O'Donnell and his guests on this show do not represent any law enforcement agency. The content of this show is not meant to be legal advice. If you think you need a lawyer, you probably do. Hey, Cops and Writers. Thanks for being here with us today for episode number three of the Cops and Writers podcast. I'm Patrick O'Donnell, and I am your host for the show. Today, we are going north to Canada. Our special guest is Constable Forrest Machek of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. If you're going to write a story about the Mounties or police in Canada, or you're just curious to learn about the legendary Royal Canadian Mounted Police, you're not going to want to miss this show. Forrest is going to discuss the selection process, training, and careers available in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Forrest also shares how she went from going to school to be a whale trainer to ultimately becoming a constable in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. You're not going to want to miss this show. All this and more in today's episode of the Cops and Writers podcast. Hello, cops and writers. Thanks for being with us today. Today, I have Forrest. How do you pronounce your last name? This is a question I get a lot. It's Matchek. One more time. Matchek. 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 Perfect. Uh, okay. All right. For I will call you Forrest because that's easier. Forrest is a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Patrol. Thank you for being with us today, Forrest. You're very welcome. I'm excited. It's I am too. This sounds awesome. I'm I'm very very happy that you're here. Um, I'm going to start out with how long have you been a police officer? Or are you called a constable? Where do you start out? I have been with RCMP for five years, and right now I am a constable. That's the base rank that you enter in as. So I've been a constable for five years. Okay, that sounds great. So, what was your path to? getting to that point. So how did it, how did it all begin? Well, it wasn't like a typical, since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to be a police officer. It didn't start out that way. Okay. When I was little, I wanted to be a whale trainer. Okay. This is Canada. My parents were hippies. <laughs> you mean like at SeaWorld where you have Shamu and stuff? Oh, no. I wanted to be out in the wild with them because I saw Free Willy and that was my <laughs> passion. Okay. Yeah. So started out there uh, in university, I changed my mind. I was doing psychology, uh, mostly with a concentration in forensic psychology, because that was where I was interested. Okay. I flirted a little bit with the idea of going to law school. And in addition to trying to keep my GPA very high, I decided that one of the things that would look good on my admission was extracurricular and volunteer work. So what I did is I ended up volunteering with the RCMP in the city that I was going to university with. They had a community. It's a police-based victim services. Okay. Which I joined, got some training, started volunteering for them. Then, as you kind of know, it's a big 
like big blue line family, right? So sure. all the people that I started meeting were police officers. They all worked in the detachment. I went to the gym in the detachment because the gym was awesome and free. Spent all my weekends on call, went out to scenes, and I just fell in love with it. And Also, you actually went out to scenes to be kind of a liaison mm-hmm. with the uh, victims of crimes? Exactly. So car accidents, fatalities, suicides, went out to those, got some really good experience. Really? Yeah, dealing with grief and death. And I just found that I really loved being there for people in that moment when they really need it. So I fell in love with it. How many of, like, you you were a civilian at the time. How many, like, civilians would be allowed in there in that role? Like, say there's a fatal car accident or a suicide or something like that. Um, It depends on whether or not they need you. So obviously we'd get to sometimes a scene and if it was a suicide where there was maybe a friend or a family member that was still in the house instead of the police officer trying to do their job secure the scene go about their business um basically what i would do is i'd step in in that moment and say let's go to the living room let's to go to the kitchen let's talk let's process what's happening so then the police officers could focus on doing their job wow because a -hmm. lot of times you know if we've got a dead body you know i've been to a zillion different suicides Mm -hmm. and you don't know it's a suicide right away i mean sometimes it's pretty obvious but every crime scene is treated if there's a dead body we treat it like it's a homicide until it's proven otherwise Mm -hmm. and the thought of a civilian going in there you know talking to a potential suspect before they're like mm-hmm. formally interviewed kind of blows me away. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Like if it was any way suspicious, I never went to any of okay. those, but we, right. for example, we'd have something where it was maybe an accidental overdose in a hotel. Sure. And I would go and be sitting with the friend that was there and maybe we'd be sitting outside on the stairs or I'd take her to my car. So we'd be nearby and Obviously, we get some training before we ever go oh, out sure, there. Sure, but you're not talking to them really about what happened. You're just there as an emotional support capacity and kind okay. of to explain what's going to happen next. Okay, well that's fantastic. Oh. Yeah, our department just started maybe about oh five or six years ago, having chaplains come to crime scenes. Mm-hmm. And they were from the Salvation Army. And again, like, say you have a suicide. It's very apparent. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no foul play. You know, we're pretty darn sure that's what it is. And, you know, uh, myself as a sergeant, you know, you always respond to anything like that. And you manage Mm -hmm. the scene. Then the detective bureau comes out. And this person's going to be questioned. And I remember one where uh, it was pretty bad. Her husband, um, her and her husband had a fight before they went to bed and that's how they went to bed that night angry at each other and she mm-hmm. woke up in the morning and he wasn't in bed she went up to get some coffee and she heard the garage door close it was a detached garage and then she heard a loud bang so she said mm-hmm. i know what happened so she called a friend because she didn't want to see her husband in that way and he literally blew his brains out i mean like half of his skull and his brains mm-hmm. were next to the body and I remember I sat with her. She had, you know, it's like all these memories are coming back. She had some um, really nice patio furniture. It was a very nice summer day. And I just held her hand for like half an hour. You know, mm-hmm. and she was she was holding it together pretty good. And then, you know, the investigation part was done. We removed the body after the medical examiner, you know, did their thing. And 
we had the uh, chaplain on standby, and it was uh, two females from the Salvation Army, and they're obviously trained in all this. And I tell you what, as soon as she saw them, it just the waterworks turned on like full force, and it was just a yeah. relief for her. So I was really happy that we had something like that, and it has come in handy. It really has. So that's great. Absolutely. So <laughs> you you got your toes wet. You, you're dipping your toes in the water of police work, and you're going to these scenes. Why the Royal Canadian Mounted Police? Why did you uh, Why did you volunteer with them compared to other uh, police? Force? That was the only police force in that city. So Canadian, oh, okay. yeah. So in Canada, we have it set up a little bit differently. RCMP is our federal, national, and municipal level policing. Oh, it is. So, Mm-hmm. So a lot of places are contracted with RCMP. Some cities do choose to do their own municipal police force, but it's less common. So, for example, here in BC, we do have Vancouver Police Department. They mm-hmm. have their own little section, but all of the places around there, so Surrey, North Vancouver, those are all policed by RCMP. So in the city that I was going to university in, it was just RCMP. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. sometimes you're the only act in town. Then there's other oh, yeah. times there's going to be another law enforcement agency like yours, like you just said. What's the relationship like between the RCMP and say the, was it Vancouver? Vancouver. Police. Yeah. So are you guys cool with each other? Is there animosity? You have a much cooler uniform by far. I would guess, but you know, <laughs> so <laughs> you can't deny it. You know, the red tunic. The campaign mm-hmm. cover, the big boots, that is so damn iconic. You know, I, it, there's so much history behind it. It is just amazing. I just think that is the sharpest police uniform that there is. Thank you. Our red surge, we are very proud of. Um, love mine. Keep it actually in the closet behind me and all my work gear. So we have a beautiful red tunic. We have the big riding boots. We have our Stetson which is great, but actually our day-to-day patrol uniforms are a lot less nice than what is supplied by the municipal forces. <laughs> I would assume because, yeah, that you don't want to, you know, <laughs> you, would, you would definitely attract some attention, you know, oh, you stepping out of a patrol uh, car or a squad car wearing the red tunic and the campaign cover mm-hmm. and all that kind of neat stuff. That mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that would be very interesting, but... Your um your jurisdiction is the entire country of Canada, correct? Yeah. So you have a municipality like, say, Vancouver. Is there any bad blood between you guys, like when you go to a scene or trying to figure out who's in charge here and all that kind of stuff? No, I've always found interagency policing really supportive, especially in Canada. We never have any major uh, beefs with anyone. It's usually fairly cut and dried as to where your jurisdiction is. So a lot of times, for example, my career actually started out in Manitoba in what the RCMP has divided our provinces into divisions. So okay. we call that D division. And the nickname in the RCMP is the Dirty D. It's a very rough province. Okay. And our headquarters in that province is actually in Winnipeg, which is the capital of the province. But Winnipeg has Winnipeg police service. So we would see them quite often. And for example, if there was maybe a car chase in which they 
they got a fancy helicopter. We didn't have one, but <laughs> they would deploy their helicopter. They'd sure. be following on the roads. We'd get on the radio with them and say, you know, they're heading southbound. They're coming into your jurisdiction. Let's stand by. How can we support you? We've got the helicopter and they'd provide support to us and we'd provide support to them. And it works out really well. Outstanding. So, you know, that's a common trope in movies and TV, you know, the, in America, it's like, you know, hey, we're the FBI, we're going to come in here and, you know, butt heads with everybody and whatever. And usually it's like hot potato. Oh, you want this big mess? It's all yours. You know, <laughs> you can have it. Yeah, you know, we don't want it. So nobody's clamoring for, oh, yeah, I really want this long, you know, expensive crime scene that's going to take forever. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, you can have that if you want. So, OK, that's very interesting to know. Um, is there any other federal law enforcement agency in Canada? There is CSIS, which is the kind of equivalent maybe to FBI in America. Okay. They do internet, like they do border security and kind of things on a federal level, but they're very separate. They don't do a lot of policing as investigation. They just focus mostly on terrorism. Okay. Gotcha. So you are... In college, you're in university, you're doing volunteer work, you dabbled, you dipped your toes in the water of police world, and you thought to yourself, hey, this might be something that I want to do for a living. Absolutely. I did get addicted to a little bit of adrenaline rush. We had, (laughs) you know, this is the government. So, of course, we've got old-fashioned pagers that they issued us and some work cell phones. And so we would take turns volunteering to be on call. And I remember one year, it was very busy. And I think I had something like three weekends off out of the entire year that I wasn't on call with our CMP. And I just loved it. I loved every time (laughs) the pager went off, I'd get a call, I'd be ready to go. It was great. Wow, that's awesome. Do you have any family members in law enforcement? I do. My uncle is a retired sergeant. He worked with Ontario Provincial Police. Okay. So he was, he sent, spent, I think, over 20, 25 years with OPP. So not RCMP at all, but with Ontario. Okay. And I never really, he was the only family member that was in law enforcement. My aunt is a lawyer, but that's the only connection I have to it. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, it kind of becomes a family tradition. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, Nobody in my family that I know of was a police officer. Uh, I'm Irish. Both my parents are from Ireland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's either become a cop, a firefighter, or a politician. And <laughs> that's pretty right. much what we do. So yeah. I don't like heights. So, you know, the police thing sounded pretty darn good to me. Plus, yep. I did an internship when I was in college with a sheriff's department, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And that really got me very, very interested in police work, yeah. kind of like what you were talking about. You know, I'm still a civilian, but I got a front row seat to all the craziness and the fun and the adrenaline. And I'm just exactly. like, and when you're young, you're like, hey, kick ass. Yeah, this is kind of cool. You know, it's like, great. yeah, that's so. All right. So that's how you got into it. What is the selection process to becoming a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer? Well, there's a lot of paperwork. Okay. And 
a lot of paperwork. It's a <laughs> quite a long process compared to a lot of other police forces. Okay. And it has changed a little bit since I entered five years ago. They've kind of tried to streamline it a little bit more. So what happens is you will fill out huge amount of paperwork to get a security clearance background. Luckily, I already had that because I was employed with them oh, sure. as a civilian member. Okay. So that really helped a lot. Uh, you go through, there's a paperwork stage. Once they've looked at all your paperwork and that seems acceptable, you come in, you do some fingerprints, they double check that, you know, you don't have criminal record, you're sure. not involved in anything like that. Then you'll go on through the selection stage and so they do. I'll, I'll stop you here. What are some like automatic disqualifiers for your agency? For us, it's like X amount of drunk driving, um, any kind of domestic violence, uh, mm. you know, in your because then you wouldn't be able to carry a gun. Um, f- felonies, certain misdemeanors. What's it like? I think we're fairly similar. They prefer no criminal record. They sure. might look at you if you do have anything minor. We don't have misdemeanors so much in Canada. Okay. But something minor they might look at, but you do have to have a clean driving record for a period of years. So that includes traffic tickets and driving prohibitions. Obviously sure. you need to be able to, you have to be at least 19 years old. They prefer if you're generally a little bit older or have equivalent life experience, that's important. So 19 you is the minimum. Huh? 19 is minimum. What about education? Mm-hmm. Is there a bare minimum for education? have to have your high school graduation okay. and a lot of people that's the bare minimum a lot of people do have university degrees or again they prefer some life experience okay you can apply at 19 with just a high school education do i think you're going to get in hmm. okay you'd have to be a very strong candidate sure sure so you go through the all the rigmarole with the paperwork and background checks and all that kind of cool stuff. Then is there a written exam and an oral exam? There is a written exam that I did, which they've since phased out. So there's, I believe there's no longer a written exam if you have a university education. Oh, wow. Then okay. they say, hey, you have a degree. We think you can kind of get through a written exam. Sure, sure. You I know. hope so. Yeah. I hope so, too. (laughs) After the written exam, there is a regular member, I think they call it a selection interview, and that's usually done by either a retired member or a current member of the police force. It's a quite a long interview for mine. It was, I think it's about three hours per interview. It's quite long. They do give you some material to prepare for it. They want answers formatted in a certain way way that explains everything that they're kind of looking for and they will ask you some tricky questions during that interview but (laughs) sure (laughs) okay so you you go through all that when is the pt test or do you have a pt test you know the physical training test so when i went through they did have one that you had to pass before getting through your application process Mm -hmm. we call it the pair physical abilities requirement exam. But people who are shaped like pears can't take it. (laughs) You can take it. You might not pass it in the time. The first time that I did it, I thought, you know, I've been going to the gym. I can get through this. This should be no problem. I go for runs. I'm fit. The first time I did it, I think I was one minute and 30 seconds over in the time. Uh. And 
kicked my ass. I was coughing for a week. Oh, I thought boy. I was die. It was horrible. No. <laughs> so, but it was good because I went and I did a pre-practice before oh, my the- actual exam just yeah. to kind of see where I'd be at as a benchmark. Sure. And luckily I did that because it's a certain kind of physical exam where it's really high energy. So my long distance running didn't do a thing for me. You had to learn how to it was more like sprints and sustained high level exertion for a long time. So was it like an obstacle course kind of uh, deal or it's a little bit like an obstacle course. So you've got, it's set out like a lap and you've got some jumps. And again, I'm fairly short. I have short legs. The jumping killed me. And it's, I think a three foot jump that you have to clear. If you touch the mat at any point, it adds a time penalty to you. Okay. Which is why I kept getting Ah, over. Sure. Sure. Every time I'd have to jump, I hit the mat and that added up fairly quickly. Okay. Uh, There's stairs that you have to go up and down. There is a hurdle you have to clear, like, and haul yourself over. And then sure. once you get to the other side, it's up, down, up, down, like burpees, kind of. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, miserable. And then there's a push-pull section uh, with okay. a certain amount of weight that you have to complete six arcs, I believe. Okay. And after you've done all that, all the running and the pushing and the jumping and the hurdling, then there's a bag carry where you have to pick up a weight, walk a certain distance, and set it down in a controlled fashion. Okay. It tires well. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you passed. I did pass. All right. I went and practiced past that. Okay. Once you finish your physical exam, there's a polygraph section. Oh, okay. Yes. So they do a polygraph. I went to the... It's a little bit outside of Vancouver, but I went to the detachment outside Vancouver to do a polygraph with their polygraph team. Very nerve wracking. I, I would imagine so. Very interesting. Yeah, some yeah. departments have polygraphs, some don't in the United States. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of times polygraphs aren't court admissible anymore. So mm-hmm. I think they're kind of losing their uh, panache, as we might say. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So you go through all of that and you get notified, hey, you're going to be in class whatever, right? Yeah. So the way we do it is we select it based out of troops because the RCMP is very based in paramilitary fashion mm-hmm. still with our history of mounted cavalry, obviously. Right. So we have troops and it's a troop of 32 and you, they call you up and say, hey, we've got an opening in troop number 10. Are you ready to leave to Regina on this date? That was the call I got. Cool. So the training center for the entire Canadian, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police is in one spot. It's Regina. It is Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay. And it doesn't matter where you live or whatever. That's where you're going to be going. And it's for six that's months, correct? That's where you're going. It and is for six months. Okay. And obviously you have barracks and that's where you live for six months. That's right. They have different barracks buildings for uh, a couple of them are a little bit more modernized. They've redone them. Some are still quite old, (laughs) but you do, you do get to live with your troop of 32. Generally you'll have a separate floor depending on which troop number you are. And at that facility as well, it functions not only as our training academy for police recruits, but it also functions actually as a training academy for 
police members, when they've graduated, they go back for what we call block training. Okay. Yeah. Refresher. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. call it in service. We'd go back to the academy, you know, where we trained. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm in Wisconsin. The only at where you would stay would be the state patrol where they have a barracks right next Mm -hmm. to uh, a, a military installation. And from the right. outside, they look exactly the same, and mm-hmm. they kind of are run the same. But the the trainees or recruits or cadets, whichever you know the verbiage they use, they get to go home on weekends. We did not get to go home on weekends. Wow! So six months. Mm-hmm. That's what. What did your parents think of all this? You know, they think, hey, you know what, our daughter is going to be out, you know, with whales in the ocean and doing all this stuff now she's Mm going to be a cop out where did we go wrong (laughs) yeah my parents were both hippies like they named me Forrest. you can kind of get some insight there (laughs) okay but they were both really supportive they just said if that's what you want to do you're strong you're capable we've raised you to know what you want to do so go ahead and do it outstanding that Mm -hmm. that's good it's good to have that parental you know, that backing, that support, that that's huge. Were you allowed yeah. visitors when you were there? No, you can't have visitors on base unless they're kind of signed in. So we do it for graduation, obviously. They come sure. in, but visitors aren't allowed in the cadets' rooms. They're not allowed in the buildings where we sleep and eat. So those kind of things. Um, you could, generally, if you wanted visiting, you would go off base. Okay. But, oh, you were allowed off base? You were allowed off base in the evenings and on weekends. So you okay. would like they do have uh, it's called the stand easy. That's, okay. And I'm sure if you kind of remember drill mm-hmm. when you, you know, you have your stand at attention and stand sure. easy. So hence the name stand. Easy. Ah, okay. For our little on base bar, which was great. You could go there cheap beer. It was great. <laughs> but if you wanted to get away from depot for a little bit, you'd have to go off base and that is what we did most weekends. Okay. So obviously you would bring your own car because who knows how far you traveled. I didn't actually bring my own car because I was flying in from BC. So I left everything behind. Sure. So any troop mates that were from Saskatchewan, some of them were from Manitoba and drove if they were in within driving distance. But not very many people had a car. So those troop mates became... Uh, like our taxi drivers, and sure. you be rides off them constantly. Okay. So how old were you when you got into a boot camp? And it's called boot camp, correct? We just call it depot. Oh, okay. So how old were you when you uh, got to depot? I was 25. Okay. So not super young. I mean, you. I assume that you already graduated from university? I did, yeah. Okay. So... You are in there with all kinds of age groups, I would imagine. Is there a cap on how old you uh, they stop taking you or you can apply? There's no definite age cap, but okay. it depends on your physical abilities. Sure. So we actually had some one amazing older lady. She was kind of like our troop mama. She was <laughs> amazing. She was, I believe, 46 going through. Ooh, okay. That does happen. But it was very difficult on her, the physical side, for sure. Yeah, I had a recruit. He was in his late 40s. He might have been mm-hmm. even 50. He did a, his entire career in the Army. He got out of the Army, and then he thought, well, he could work for 10 more years and draw a partial pension from the city as a police officer. Absolutely. And his wife was a police officer. So, you know, it wasn't completely foreign to him. 
and I was his field training officer in the street, and he was one of the best recruits I ever had. He he was outstanding. He had lots of good life experience. He was very mature, obviously, and just yeah, I was really happy to have him. You know, it was just interesting though because you know I kind of felt like I was training my dad. You know, you know at the time I'm like 33 or 34, and I'm like, oh geez, mm-hmm. you know, this, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit different. So it is. all right, so you're you're at depot. You're far away from home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how did it feel? You know, it's like, cool, I finally, I made it. I am going to be a Mountie. It, like I said, it's super iconic. You have the cool uniform. There's a ton of history mm-hmm. behind it. And I, I would think that would command us instant respect. It's just, I think it's really cool. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by the thrilling audiobook, Avenging Adam, book one in the FBI canine thriller series written by author Jody Burnett. Sparks fly between hotshot FBI agent Rick Sanchez and no-nonsense FBI canine handler Kendra Dean as they chase a ruthless serial killer. Witness an electrifying blend of suspense, romance, and redemption, where internal conflicts challenge our heroes as much as their target does. Will they catch the killer before it's too late? Grab Avenging Adam now. It's more than a story. It's an experience. Get 50% off the Avenging Adam audiobook at jody-burnett.com forward slash cops and writers. That's what I thought too. And then I got there and it was, it was great. You, you go in, you look at all the troops marching, especially the more senior troops and they march everywhere on base. We do that as a form to practice our drill Mm -hmm. and they just looked so sharp and so incredible amazing and you see all of our drill instructors and our regular instructors walking around and they look amazing they look like they belong <laughs> and you get there and you think oh no what have i done i see my little box room i see my little boxes that i can put all my belongings into you were allowed to have one picture of your family up one personal photo on display uh that night i remember laying in my bed and there's curtains for doors in was our dorm. So all of them dorms have curtains and you could kind of, there's gaps over the walls <laughs> and all of the girls, you could just hear everyone's like, Oh, good night. Okay. Everyone have a nice sleep. See you in the morning. We're all chipper trying to keep it together. As soon as the lights go out, you could just hear the sniffles from Aww. everyone. <laughs> line. Everyone's in bed crying. Oh, that's funny. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. You just, like you said, you realize it's like, oh boy, what did I just get myself into? Oh boy, exactly. Oh, that's outstanding. But you know what? The people, your drill drill instructors and other instructors, that isn't foreign to them. You know, I'm, nope. I can only imagine, you know, the stories that they have, of, you know, new, are you called a recruit or what are you called when you're new? Recruit. Okay. So you're a recruit. Um, actually, you know what? At, after you graduate, we kind of call you recruit when you're in the field you're not supposed to they're technically a constable as well but we call them a recruit when you're in the field graduated but at rcmp in your depot time you're a cadet there so a cadet you you get your uniform and you get a little epaulette it's bright blue that says cadet to distinguish you from a actual police officer Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's outstanding. So, you know, you're going through there. um, Obviously, it's six months of uh, training. Uh, When I went through, 
obviously I didn't go through there, but I assume it's fairly similar. You know, you're going to go, you're going to have physical training, you know, how more or less Mm -hmm. how to deal with uncooperative people. Lots Mm -hmm. of law. You have to know the law. You, um, firearms and any other type of weapons, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have to practice with that, you know, and when you can use them, you know, all that kind of stuff. We had a little mock courtroom. Did you practice like mm-hmm. testifying? Absolutely. That was kind of fun. I, I did enjoy that. There's no doubt about it. Um, So you're going through all of this training. What was the washout rate? Like how many people just didn't make it or it just, or got kicked out for various reasons? That depends on your troop. Generally, I believe we ended up graduating with out of a troop of 32. I believe we kept 27 of us, which was fairly good. Okay. Some troops had a huge attrition dropout rate. Just depends on your troop, I guess. Okay. Some people, the way that RCMP kind of worked is there's all these benchmarks that you have to hit in your academy. And sometimes what would happen is if you if you failed to meet a benchmark, you could get back trooped. So they'd say, you know, you, you maybe you failed your big firearm exam. Okay, that's uh, pretty severe. Like we, you know, you really need to work on that. They'll send you back quite a few troops. And then you just, you stay at depot and you go again with a junior troop. Okay. And you have to kind of do everything over again just oh, to that, give you that extra time. That would suck. Uh, I would think, you know, yeah. it's like you just want to get out of there. You you get to a certain point, you're mm-hmm. like, I just want to graduate. Give me my badge. You know, give me my stuff. I, I Give me a squad car. I'm ready to be a cop now, you know, mm-hmm. even though you're not. But no. you that's you the feel. You are. Right. At first, mm-hmm. you're kind of scared. Then you are kind of get acclimated to it. Then you're like, man, this is silly. Get me out. Yeah, just mm-hmm. just let me be a cop. So mm-hmm. what are some of the, you know, obviously for um, academic reasons, you can get washed out. What are some other uh, things that could get you kicked out of your troop? Other than failing an exam or firearms or PDT or driving, anything to do with that violates RCMP core values. Okay. So, you know, if you've if you've been caught lying, if you've been caught cheating, if there's something going on that's just against those values that the RCMP has, depending on the severity of what it is, you can get kicked kicked out for those reasons. Okay. All right. That makes sense. What are, so like a code of conduct is again, like you said, cheating. Mm-hmm. That'll give you the yeah, boot in yeah. half a second. Absolutely. Uh, they really frown on if you are going out drinking at the local bars. <laughs> I know there was a lot of, Tension sometimes between the local young men and oh. the RCP young men. Oh, okay. Competition for the ladies in Regina. Oh, and people boy. would get into fights. And if you got into a fight and, for example, police, like Regina police are called and they have to respond or you get in trouble that way, you, you're breaking some stuff in the bars. They're not going to look very kindly upon that. Sure. I could, oh. <laughs> I could see where that would be a problem. The subject of relationships. You are married. Yes. And you're married to a constable as well? Absolutely. Okay. Did you guys meet when you were at depot or before or when did that happen? We actually did meet at depot. Uh, Ah. Were you in the same troop? Yes, we were. Oh, boy. Okay. Every time. So 
the first two days, they sit you down and they say, in every troop, there's going to be that couple and they're going to be a depo love. And, and I was going to say Academy it, love. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's and there's very strict rules on base of no physical contact, no kissing, no handsiness. You got to keep that off base. And if they find out that you're doing that, then that's another reason that you can get sent home. Okay. So cuddling in your pits at night, for example, got to keep it kind of professional. There is a lot of couples that do hook up uh, in Academy at Depot. They don't always last. Some do. Okay. It's the exception to the rule, but some do. My husband and I are still married five years later. So well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I, you know what? It's the same thing where I work. I think it's the same. That's universal in every mm-hmm. police department, um, no matter where you are. We always get, oh, look, they're Academy sweethearts. You know, it's like exactly. we didn't have formal rules against it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you couldn't be on break making out in the hallway. You know, exactly. you, you get a boot up your ass if you did something stupid like mm-hmm. that. You know, you want to keep Absolutely. it as professional as possible. And mm-hmm. I actually do know some people that they met in the academy, and that was over 25 years ago, and they're still married. So it yeah, happens. Sometimes it works. Exactly. Yes. Sometimes you just find that right person, and you know maybe you did meet them at academy, and you met them during training, but they're a good fit for your life, and you stay together. Well, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So graduation. You're finally done. You can invite finally. family and friends, mm-hmm. and... It, I imagine that's when you bust out the red tunic and the big boots and Absolutely. that's where you have, do you have like a drill field where you do lots of marching around and you have a formal like graduation ceremony? Can you kind of walk us through that real quick? Absolutely. So what we have at depot is a very old drill hall. It's part of our long history. It's an amazing hall that's got some bleachers set up. You've got all these, all the Canadian provinces are kind of the shields are on the wall. We actually use that in drill to help us mark our places in the sure. hall. So that is great. So we do have a thing called a pass out. And as your senior troop, one of the nice things about going through depot and having these like pieces of uniform that are, are so iconic is as you progress in your training, you get more and more pieces of kit. So you start out and you're in civilian clothes and you have a big T badge that's basically <laughs> like, I'm a newbie. Please be nice to me. And, you know, you, you're walking around depot and business clothes then you eventually get your pants but they don't have yellow stripes on them they're just blue okay finally you take a challenge you get your yellow stripes that's pretty great you get marching permission so you're no longer doubling around base you're now marching around base now doubling that mean running absolutely okay miserable double time yep double time running (laughs) And so you progress to your marching. And then as you become more and more senior, you start to get the iconic pieces of kit. So in the RCMP, you are issued your boots. We call them high browns. And they're big riding boots. They come up almost to your knee. They've got very specific laces. And one of the things that's really amazing about RCMP is that your drill instructor is assigned to certain troops. So my drill instructor maybe had three troops going at that time. Mm -hmm. 
And when you do get these boots, you are, they come, they're raw. They are raw leather. They're hideous. <laughs> they're not broken in. So what we do is we are in charge of breaking our own boots in. So for example, I put my boots on and I ran stairs and ran stairs and <laughs> ran stairs in my okay. massive boots, ugly shorts, you name it. <laughs> Once they're broken in, your drill instructor will give you a recipe for the color. And we all are in charge of polishing our own boots and building that color. So each troop has their own specific recipe given to them by their drill instructor. So everyone's troop boots are just a slightly different color. So some oh. might be more ox blood, some might be more brown. They turn out just a little bit individual. Okay. Yeah, really, so really cool. There's a reason behind everything. So, hey, you graduate. Now, mm -hmm. do you have any kind of preferences like where you're going to be working? I mean, that could have ended your relationship with your husband, I would think. You know, mm -hmm. if you got sent to opposite ends of Canada, mm -hmm. which is the second largest, you know, country in the world. So how does that work? Like, typically, how do you get sent to wherever you're going to be going? What they'll do is before your graduation, maybe a couple months before you graduate, you're fairly senior. You'll get troop. First, they'll tell you these are the provinces that we have available for your troop. So they might say BC is open, Alberta is open, Saskatchewan, Manitoba are open. Sometimes they do have provinces in the Maritimes, but a lot of times that's just not available. They're smaller divisions. They don't need as many new members. So they will say Atlantic divisions are closed. Quebec is closed. Ontario generally closed because they have provincial police in both of those provinces. Okay. So they'll give you provinces that are available. You will mark down, you get the opportunity to mark down your three top provinces. Okay. That's all you get. You get, and that's not guaranteed either. Sure. So, when do you find out what your uh, duty assignment is going to be like? Where you're going to wind up? I think we find that out about four weeks, maybe a month before graduation. Okay. My husband and I—I I was actually pre-posted, but when I came to depot, the detachment commander of the city that I was volunteering in said. We'll take you back right away. Oh, okay. You, yeah, you're familiar with the city. You can come back to BC. We'll pre-post you. We'll guarantee you a spot here in this municipal city. Okay. So I was pre-posted, which was handy until I met my husband. <laughs> um, he's from Quebec. He's a Frenchie. He was obviously not guaranteed a posting spot in BC like I was. And there was one available position in a French-speaking detachment in New Brunswick. Okay. And now he um, would have generally have wanted that position because it's French-speaking. It's close to where he grew up. That would have been his preference. But since we were together, we had let staffing know that we were together. We did intend to remain together after depot. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're, you know, you can keep your BC spot, but he's not guaranteed to go to BC. And there was, I believe, in my troop, maybe something like 15, 16 people vying for nine positions in BC. Okay. So they said it's not a guarantee. He's not guaranteed to go to BC. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Okay. If you want to remain together, what we do, what we'd recommend is taking a less desirable province. Sorry to any Manitobans or Prairie people. But Manitoba is a non-desirable RCMP posting. The prairies are very rough. We agreed to go to Manitoba. Okay. 
So mm-hmm. you wound up going to Manitoba and mm-hmm. forgive my lack of geography. How big of an area is that? Manitoba's massive. It's in the middle of Canada. Our provinces are very large. Like we've got a lot of land mass. Manitoba is a big of a little bit of a weird shape province right in the middle. Okay. So off you guys go there and that's where you're at mm-hmm. right now. No, we actually just finished when you first get a province, you get a provincial contract with them. So they that province basically owns your policing contract for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. So we signed a five year agreement that we would stay in Manitoba for five years. Okay. We actually got transferred out to BC. We ended up um our commitment a little bit early. We got transferred interdivisionally, which was great. Did you have a choice? Yes, that was uh, what we were hoping for, actually. Oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. how often can you get transferred without any choice? It's rare. Um, It's more common in the prairies, in those less desirable postings. So, for example, my husband and I, we were both stationed in southern Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And when around that year mark, usually you're at a detachment for three to five years, Around that year mark, they said, we'd like you to think about going up north. We call them isolated postings or limited duration postings. So for short, LP, um, IP, LDP is our slang for it. We love our acronyms in the U, like our (laughs) DP, as every police force does. But they start pressuring us consider a Northern posting, consider a Northern posting. And in order to leave Manitoba eventually, which we wanted to do, you do have to complete five years and one Northern posting and one Southern posting. So we decided we'd go up North, do our IP there. And that helped us get out of the province. Well, that'd be really tough. I would think on families, Mm -hmm. you know, say you go into the, to become a Mountie and you already are married and have children. And you could be moving, you know, I don't know, hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Absolutely. And one of the things they do emphasize at depot when you're making this choice, they say you signed on a dotted line. You said you would go anywhere in Canada. And that is something that you is emphasized in recruiting at the academy. And then afterwards, they okay. know that you can be transferred anywhere. There's RCMP, which is across the country. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So... Now you got some time under your belt. How do you get Mm -hmm. promoted? What's you start out as a constable. Then from there, I I would assume the next um, rank is sergeant. Then you have like a a staff sergeant, I think. So how does that work? Constable to corporal. Oh, to corporal. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then corporal to sergeant, sergeant to staff sergeant. Staff sergeant is the last of our non-commissioned ranks. And then after that, you are a white shirt and you're a commissioned officer of the RCMP. It continues up the ladder until the RCMP commissioner, our top boss. So what will happen? There's two different ways you can do this. So if you are in the prairie, so you're in Saskatchewan or Manitoba, you are a constable. They are lacking officers. It's a very, they're very difficult provinces to police in. Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you can have a promotion by exception, PBE, which means you can be in a position to promote to a corporal or to even higher ranks, maybe around three or four years. It is rare, but it does happen quite a lot where 
my husband and I, for example, when we were in our post at maybe two and a half, three years of service, we were the most senior detachment members there. So we had the most experience and you're trying to act as a supervisor to people who have one year or anywhere from six months to one year of service. Sure. So you're still a constable, correct? Still a constable. Is your husband as well? Yep, he's still constable as well. So we have five years. So in the North, you can promote to corporal sooner, but rest of Canada, you can take your court. What we call is a JSC. It's our exam for higher promotions at seven years of service years before we can even write our exam. Oh, seven years. Okay. So you go up the ladder that way. Um, and my wife and I just started, we, not just, we just finished um, Bad Blood on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a loosely based on a true story of the mafia in Montreal, correct? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and it was their, like, detective division that were kind of on their tail. And I'm like, they have a detective division? So, yeah, I had to look it up. I, I didn't realize that. So how does that work? How, how can you become a detective within um, the RCMP? So RCMP is interesting in that it does have different units that you can go into. So what we we don't have detective isn't really a rank for us. We have um, it's a unit. We've got major crimes unit that Mm -hmm. you can join. You can have GIS, which is a little bit more drugs. So general investigative services. Then there is forensic identification. There's all these like small units. We have a maritime unit. We have an air division. We have dog units. We have a unit for everything, basically. Okay. Yeah. And, and on the show, yeah. they're plain clothes. You know, they're wearing business attire. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, so that makes sense. So there's no mm-hmm. like quote unquote detective. They're, no. They're still like a, a sergeant or a corporal or whatever the case Most- may be and even constables so you okay. go into a major crime unit and you can still be a constable your supervisor will be a corporal and your like your little unit boss will be a sergeant gotcha all right that mm-hmm. makes sense that's interesting and is that yeah. something that's rotated through or you just kind of you get your spot there and you kind of hang out there for the rest of your career depends on your unit most units do rotate through through, uh, with the exception of forensic identification, once members join that, um, it's a little bit of a specialized unit. Sure. I would think so. Yeah, they require some specialized training and you can get certified in certain areas. So you could be a blood blood splatter expert, or you can specialize in fingerprints, or you can specialize in different things. Gotcha. So once you're specialized, you generally stay in forensics the rest of your career. All right. So you are on the street. You're in patrol, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Walk us through, well, what shift do you work? When do you work? I work, right now I actually have a great schedule. I have four on, four off. So we work 11-hour shifts. Okay. So I Two day shifts, two night shifts, and then I'm off for four days. By day shift and night shift, like what are the hours? My first day shift starts at, let me see, I think my first is 6 a.m. And my second day always starts at 7 a.m. Okay. And then we work the 11 hours, so 6 until 5 or 7 until 6 p.m. Okay. And and nights are just opposite? 
nights are opposite. Either you're starting at six or four seven. in the afternoon. Oh, okay. And get off at three, and our second shift starts at five, and you're off at four. Okay, it's so a bit long. so there's a little bit of time there where there's nobody on the street. That's right, and we that's very common in Canada to oh, have wow. on call hours. Yeah. So you could get done with your eleven hour shift crawl into bed at five o'clock in the morning or whatever and then your phone goes off maybe a half an hour later hey this happened or whatever or they could call in i guess a day shift person they could call yeah, them in early depends on what schedule you're working so you have okay. set on call hours so my last post in manitoba the isolated post that i worked we only had eight hour days so that meant we were on call for 16 hours like there was a huge amount of on-call. Okay. And sometimes I would be called out five or six times a night, especially if it was a busy, busy time. And you would, our dispatchers were amazing. Like we had a great relationship with them because it's such a small detachment. Mm -hmm. So they knew us all by name. Like I would get off at midnight and say, hey, dispatch, uh, it's Forrest. I'm going to be, I'm off shift. Like I'm off the board, but I have my radio with me because I'm walking my dogs. And they'd say, okay, we'll say hi to Nick. Say hi to Pippin for us. And I go, <laughs> will do. <laughs> and I just be walking around with my radio on. Okay. Gotcha. That's funny. That was different. Yeah. So and what is a typical day for you? Like, I mean, nothing's typical in law enforcement, obviously, but okay. just walk us through, you know, it's like you, you get to work. You don't have a take-home car, I imagine. Not in this detachment. My last detachment. So it's really interesting, actually. We would are we live in what's called force housing. So it's government housing that was nearby our detachment. We'd have our mm -hmm. detachment. All of our houses were behind it, and because it was so far up north, it's flight access only for most of the year, except <laughs> when it's an ice road for about two months. Yikes. So we didn't have any personal vehicles up there. Our police cars were our personal vehicles and our wow. snowmobiles were used personally and our boats as well. So in that case, I would always have a truck at home. Okay. Always. There was always a truck in our driveway. Mm -hmm. If not, I'd walk to my neighbor's driveway, all like another police officer's driveway, and yeah. I'd take a truck from him. Uh, did you have dog sleds? Did that work? No. Oh, come on. All right. You're bursting my bubble here. That'd be so I cool. Know. All right. I mush. Would. Mush you, dog. Mush you, huskies. Mush. My husky would have loved it, honestly. <laughs> Mine would have, too. We were talking yeah. before uh, before we went live here. Force and I were talking about our Siberian huskies. I had one years back, and she's got one. They're a highly spirited animal that, uh, yeah, I'll just say they're highly spirited. Absolutely. <laughs> so you get to work. Um, I'm asking all these specifics because people writing stories, these are some mm -hmm. of the questions that I get in the group. So is yep. there rules about get, coming to work in uniform or you know, how does that work? We have strict rules about that in RCMP. So in the north, it was a little bit more relaxed. Obviously, you have a police car at home. You go home in your uniform. You sure. have your gun at your house. Mm -hmm. because you're on call so often and you need to leave from your house. So that's a little bit different. Right now where I'm working, it's a little easier. I have I don't have my police car at home. I don't have my gun at home. My uniform is mostly in my locker. So what happens currently, what I will do is get up, I get dressed in civilian clothes, whatever I'm going to wear to the office, which is, you know, 
usually something comfy and easy to take off. I look like a bum showing up to work. <laughs> Fine. I go into work. I change into my uniform there. There's a locker room, change room. They have a shower available if you want to shower there. Change into my uniform. I load my personal, like my issued firearm there. I get ready. I take my duty bag, my winter bag, and I load up a police car for the day, pick up a radio, make sure everything's good to go. Okay. Do you uh, check in? Is there a roll call? No roll call. We just sign in through our cars. We have a little laptop that's mounted in. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we just sign in through the car. So there's no sergeant making sure that everybody's there, giving your assignments? Definitely not. No. Really? Oh, that's totally different from us. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. uh, I was a sergeant, you know, roll call was a, you know, 13 minutes before the shift. You know, people would come in, they'd they'd salute you, you know, good morning, sir, or good morning, sergeant. Mm -hmm. You know, Officer O'Donnell reporting for duty. Then be like, okay, you're with Jones today on squad 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's very different. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. And mm-hmm. can you take your gun home with you? I know Canada has very strict gun control laws. You can. I wouldn't here just because it honestly, it's just because it's a hassle. So I'm allowed to carry my gun home. But if I was going to be taking it home, then I'd make sure that I always had my like RCMP badge sure. on a plain clothes badge display just so that i'd have Mm -hmm. it nearby right all those kind of things and we definitely have very strict laws about storing firearms our firearms for law enforcement are restricted that means we have an extended law enforcement magazine clip so we can't leave these around our ammunition and our firearms have to be stored separately they both have to be locked they have there's a laundry list of requirements okay and we aren't allowed to be in partial uniform so if we have anything that displays our uniform on it it has to be full uniform you can't just say i'm gonna throw my gun belt on over a pair of jeans and a jacket like okay you would need sure your hard body armor with you you okay. need all those things gotcha so you mm-hmm. sign into your car and then do you have a partner or how does that work that's another rcmp special we are usually solo in our police cars okay that's every detachment that I've been in. I've usually been solo on shift. Um, up north, it was different. I, we, it was just our detachment policy, and it's more common up north and in rougher areas that you would never go to a call alone. Sure. So usually we jump into the car with each other, take one truck. Sometimes okay. we take multiple vehicles, but sure. you're usually alone. That makes sense. Now, as far as uh, field training, you know, I'll back up just a little bit. You you graduate from depot. And you go to your assignments. I imagine there's some kind of on-the-job training. You know, for us, it was called field training. You'd have an FTO. How does that work with you? Same thing. We call it field training as well, and it's an, another six months. Yeah, it's wasn't that long for us. It was two six-week modules where you were oh, wow. like scored on everything, but you're on probation mm-hmm. for a total of year a year from you start your start of the academy. So. Mm-hmm. There's a year that you're kind of like a at whim employee where they could get rid of you, you know, you, yep. you could have, yeah, the appeal process was different, you know, if you were fired it, when you were still on probation. It's a lot easier to get rid of somebody while they're still on probation. On probation. Yeah. Same with us. Okay. We're on probation up until our two-year mark. Oh, okay. Wow. 
years, they say, okay, we, we guess you're doing okay. <laughs> we'll let you stay. Why not? Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, you know, you're in a squad car and you've got your computer, you're in uniform, and you're just taking calls for assignment, you know, calls for, uh, you know, calls for service, you know, the the dispatcher is sending you to X, Y, and Z, like a car accident or a domestic disturbance or give you a barking dog. Who knows? Exactly. Those damn so huskies. Those damn huskies howling. <laughs> yes, they, they talk. They definitely talk. Yes, they do. Our dispatch works differently depending on where you are. So in Manitoba, what would happen is they'd come on the air and they'd say, Steinbeck, it's um, dispatch. We have a disturbance call and then you'd key up on your radio and you say yeah this is this is who uh, whatever your call sign is i'll take that and so you would have to kind of volunteer to take it and so some officers are really quick on the mic some officers are suspiciously <laughs> quiet yeah <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. uh. so it would depend there how how it was dispatched but in bc where i am now it's dispatched very dis- differently and they'll say hey alpha 10 i've got a call for you and you have to take it so they'll assign the calls for you in the dispatch radio room sure you don't get to volunteer which ones you take gotcha so you know you're taking calls for service proactive police work you know doing traffic stops you know Mm -hmm. talking to people on the street that you think are up to something you know that type of thing how prevalent is that or is that pushed or how does that work? That depends as well on what area you're in. My okay. previous attachment, we did not have time for any proactive police work. It was purely response. You're just going from so one assignment to the next, to the next, one to the next. fired to another. Sometimes sure. you'd be like, okay, I'm at a stabbing. Great. Well, we've got a domestic in the queue, another domestic in the queue, another possible stabbing and a fight in progress. And we've got a party. So you'd be like, <laughs> well, which stabbing sounds the worst? Let's see which one we're going to first. Sure. And that would be how you did things. Here, it's a little bit different now that I'm in a different area. We do a lot more proactive work. We have we live in a ski resort town, so oh, okay. right in the mountains. It's very beautiful, but we do get a lot of tourism, okay. and with tourism comes a lot of increased calls. We're right on the Trans-Canada, so the Cross-Canada Highway. Okay, We get a lot of traffic, so we do a lot of traffic. We okay. have school zones that are on the way to the ski hill, and people just keep flying by. Okay, So one of the things that we like, or, you know, our detachment commander says is if you don't have things that are going on, please go out to those school zones. Please go out to our high, busy, like sure. volume areas and do a little enforcement when you can. Okay. Excellent. So hmm. wrapping it up, what's in force future? What, where do you see yourself in a few years with the RCMP? Uh, I would like to take my exam at seven years. My preferred unit is the forensic identification section. I'm a big FIS nerd. Right now, I'm a property crime examiner, what we call a PCE. So I can analyze fingerprints, take CPM. I would like to, I love major case file management. Mm -hmm. I like the bigger cases. I got my kind of hand in that working up north in manitoba there's a lot more violent persons crime 
Okay. Really enjoy those. So for me, it's the forensic section. That's where I'd like to go. Outstanding. All right. And okay. Well, I think that's where we're going to end things. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you have any more, any questions for me? No, I think that's it. I love chatting and obviously I'm really proud to be a Mountie. So I, I love talking about it when I can. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot to be proud of. It's so iconic. There's a ton of history there. I mean, that's really neat. That's something to be very proud of. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed episode number three of the Cops and Writers podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you, Constable Forrest Machek of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for being on the show today. This was a fun and informative interview. Thanks to all of you who support my work either through buying my books in the Cops and Writers series available on Amazon. Just type in Cops and Writers in the search bar and you'll find them. Being a patron at patreon.com forward slash cops and writers, all one word. Participating in my Cops and Writers Facebook group, hiring me as a consultant for your work, or visiting me at my website, copsandwriters.com. Thank you so much. Before I go, could you do me a favor? Could you please subscribe to the Cops and Writers podcast and leave a review, please? It would be so helpful, and it makes sure that you don't miss an episode of the podcast. That's it for now. Thanks again, and let's be careful out there.